Now will you please rise for the reading of the scripture this morning. Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. A man was there by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was wealthy. He wanted to see who Jesus was, but because he was short, he could not see over the crowd. So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore fig tree to see him, since Jesus was coming that way. When Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. So he came down at once and welcomed him gladly. All the people saw this and began to mutter, He has gone to be the guest of a sinner. But Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, Look, Lord, here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor. And if I have cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, because this man too is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. This is the word of the Lord. Okay, are you guys ready for this? All right, let me tell you what we are planning to do here for the next nine weeks. Uh, this is a series called Good Things Ahead, and it is my aim to get us excited about what God is doing in our midst and to give us a clear vision of what the future looks like. So what we're going to do is we're going to look at scripture and we're going to ask the question, what has God called us to do? What is it that God values and what's our church going to look like if we are living out of his values in 2024 and beyond? And now I know this is a Sunday morning, and so I'm guessing that means maybe there's a few people here who are new to this church. Maybe you're just checking things out. Maybe you're exploring faith, and, and you might be thinking right now, I, I don't know that I care about this. <laughs> I don't know that I care much about this particular church's vision. And, and I want to say, just give me a chance. Okay, because the vision for this church is a small part of a much bigger story. It's a story that everyone is called to be a part of, whether it's here or whether it's somewhere else. It is the story of God's great rescue mission. It's the story that all of us are living in, whether we realize it or not. It's like we were saying in the call to worship a moment ago. The, the truth of our story is that Jesus is the fulfillment of our deepest desires and the provision for our greatest needs. So even if you never step foot in this church ever again, I want you to know that God has something for all of us in his word this morning. Amen? Okay. So here's what we're doing. Today, we're going to look at our, our missional mandate. And then the following six weeks, we're going to look at what it is that we deeply value as a church. And then finally, in, in weeks eight and nine, we're going to wrap up with some of our specific hopes for the next few years. All right, 
it's time. The unveiling of the missional mandate. Here it is. Let's, let's all read this together. Center Church is making room for everyone to experience joyful, life-transforming connection to Jesus and his people. Okay, Center Church is making room for everyone to experience joyful, life-transforming connection to Jesus and his people. This is our mission because it's God's mission. And that's what we're going to talk about this morning as we walk through this passage in the Gospel of Luke. We're going to talk about how Jesus makes room for everyone. How he empowers us for joyful transformation and how he connects us to his people. And we're just going to dive right in because we got a lot of ground to cover this morning. Uh, Jesus makes room for everyone. Here we go. Now, I'll, I'll let you know as we get started here, this has been kind of a, a stressful week around my household. Uh, this time last week, we found out that the flooring company we had hired was going to come on Monday to replace all of our floors. That was the first Monday that I was back at work, the Monday that Melissa had a doctor's appointment at 8.30 in the morning, the Monday when all our kids were home from school, <laughs> and... and Throughout the week, it just got more and more chaotic. We were dealing with dust and, and chemicals and, and furniture piled up in the middle of the house, leaky pipes being discovered, dogs that could not possibly be contained. We're juggling where we can possibly go between 3 and 5 o'clock when the kids are out of school and our house is, is filled up with people. It was intense. But I'll say, in the midst of that chaos... Whenever I got to sit down and open up this text, I was overcome with a sense of wonder. And, and right now, I'm really thrilled that we get to look at this passage this morning. I, I hope I don't mess it up, <laughs> because there is so much in here. There is so much for you this morning that I really want you to, to get a hold of. See, this story, it's about Zacchaeus. And Zacchaeus, he was a tax collector. He, he lived 2,000 years ago, more than that. But this is more than just the story of Zacchaeus. This is really our story. It is the story of God's love for each and every one of his children. His love for me. His, his love for you. And so let's look at it again. It says, Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. A man was there by the name of Zacchaeus. He was the chief tax collector and was wealthy. He wanted to see who Jesus was, but because he was short, he could not see over the crowd. So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore fig tree to see him since Jesus was coming that way. So Zacchaeus, he's a tax collector. And if you don't know, the way that you become a tax collector is you outbid people for the right to collect taxes. So however much you end up paying to, to collect those tolls and fees that are due to you, well, what ended up happening was the tax collector would pass on that cost to the people. And then, of course, he would add whatever cost he needed to on top of that so that he could make a profit. And then you could add even a little bit more than that so that you could become wealthy, rich, by making other people struggle by pinching the people around you. It was, it was a grimy job. 
Yeah, so Zacchaeus, it says he's wealthy, he's rich. He probably had some people that were working for him, but he was despised. This was, the the tax collector job was not really a sought-after job. It was the kind of job that most honorable people wouldn't pursue because they thought it was beneath them. So Zacchaeus, he, he would have been a social outcast. He would have been extremely unlikable in the community. And I, and I was trying to think about someone that fit this billing in today's world, and I was wondering, do any of you remember Martin Scarelli? Anybody remember this guy? The pharma bro is what they called him. If you don't know who he was, he was a, a 30-something investor who was gathering up all these companies, so a lot of them pharmaceutical companies, and his company bought the patent to this life-saving HIV medication, a medication that had been around for 50 years, and it cost $13.50 a pill. And when he bought the company, he jacked up the price to $750 a pill. He was becoming rich off of other people's suffering, and the news got out. Maybe, I mean, the, the news spread around. People were outraged by this. There's, there's all kinds of articles you can read about it, but no one could deny that this just, it was heartless injustice that was happening. There were floods of articles written about him calling him the most hated man in America. They said he had the world's most punchable face. Well, Zacchaeus was a man like that. No one wanted him around. He climbed up a tree, it says, because he was short and he couldn't see over the crowd. But I wonder if he had asked to be let through, if anyone would have bothered to let him get up to the front. Probably not. But God, he had plans for this most unlikely and most unlikable person. See, God had... At the, at the moment of this story, he'd already started doing something. He was already stirring in this guy's heart. What's going on in him when he climbs that tree, it's more than just curiosity. That's what the text tells us. It says he didn't just want to catch a glimpse of Jesus, but he was trying to see who Jesus was. Something inside of him had awakened He had to know, who is this young rabbi? What's he all about? What's really going on with this guy? Now, our passage, it doesn't tell us what he was thinking. It doesn't tell us what he was feeling or what it was that drove him to climb that tree. But you got to wonder, right, if it was not that attaining all that wealth had just become so empty and meaningless. Or the, the power of that isolation that he had from his community, if that wasn't sending him seeking and and searching for that belonging that that we all need. And so then you get to the next verse. It says, when Jesus reached that spot, he looked up and he said to him, okay, so picture that. Picture the moment if you can. Maybe you close your eyes or something. But imagine, you know, Jesus is coming down the street and there are crowds so thick you can't see him through the crowds. People are pressing in. They want to they hear Jesus. They want to hear what he has to say. They want to hear him teach. Maybe they're looking to see a miracle performed. Maybe they're crying out, asking for him to heal. And in the middle of this enormous crowd of people, Jesus comes right to the spot where Zacchaeus is in this tree, and he stops, 
and he focuses his eyes on one man, the most unlikable man with the most punchable face. And he calls him by name. He says, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. Don't miss that little must part, right? Jesus is speaking with some divine authority right here. He says, this is something that must happen. I must stay at your house today. This is a moment that has been foreordained in the world. Zacchaeus, he wanted to see who Jesus was. He climbed the tree. He was looking out. But don't make a mistake here. Jesus was the one doing the seeking that day. Jesus was the one who was on the hunt. This is his plan, folks. Back then and today, this is his plan. This is his mission. He says it very clearly in the passage. He says, I came, the Son of Man came, to seek and to save the lost. That's Zacchaeus' story. That's my story. That's your story. That's the story of everyone who comes to him. He already knows your name. And if if you belong to him, no matter how far away you have wandered, no matter what a mess you might have made of your life, no matter how other people view you, no matter what labels they put on you, no matter how punchable your face may seem sometimes, nothing is going to stop him from looking at you in the eye and calling you by name. That's what Jesus was all about. In his kingdom, there is room for the least and for the last. There is room for everyone who hears his call. There is a place for me. There's a place for you. And so, if that was Jesus' mission, well, then it's ours as well, right? And now at this point, in talking about this this mission of seeking and saving the lost, there's a lot of preachers who would tell you that means you got to get out there and you got to share the gospel and you've got to make this happen. And yeah, sure, we are called to go and we're called to share the gospel and we need to be outside of the walls of this church frequently. But it is not up to us to make this happen. The truth is a lot better than that. Because, honestly, that's a lot of pressure. That's too much pressure for me. But here's the truth. Jesus is going to make it happen. He has come to seek and save the lost. And he won't fail. Nobody can stop him. He is going to accomplish his purpose in the world. Do you know right now Jesus is still calling people by name? He's still preparing their hearts. He's still sending them, climbing up to the top of the trees, looking out for him. And that's the point. See, Jesus has has made room in his kingdom. And our call is to simply join him in the work he's doing. And how do we do that? We join him by, well, making room in our hearts for them. Making room in our lives for the outsiders. 
And of course, making room right here in this place so that all can come. And here's the second point. Jesus empowers joyful transformation. Okay, so verse 6, it says, He came down at once and welcomed him gladly. Now that word gladly, it's, it's chiron, it means joy, joyfully, with rejoicing. There's this sense that when, when Zacchaeus received Jesus, he was overflowing with joy. And I learned this week as I was studying through Luke that there's actually 10 different passages in this short book where Luke shows us joy is the response to the work of Jesus in our lives. And what caused Zacchaeus? To be so joyful? Well, it was that welcome. Zacchaeus was despised. You know, he was, a, he was a pariah. He's the kind of guy that either got scowls on the street or, or people would just look away. But not with Jesus. Even in this huge crowd full of people, Jesus lifted up his face and he looked him in the eyes and that look, guys, that look from Jesus, that was a look of knowing. That was a look of delight. It's the look that, that we talk about at the end of the service when we say that great benediction, the Lord bless you and keep you and make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. Those are the eyes that Zacchaeus was looking at. Not a look of judgment but a look of redemption. This joyful reception. It was this, a living example of what Jesus had just said a couple chapters ago when he said, suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and loses one of them. Doesn't he leave the 99 in the open country and then go after the lost sheep until he finds it? And when he finds it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders and he goes home, and then he calls his friends and his neighbors together, and he says, Rejoice with me. I have found my lost sheep. Jesus is rejoicing in him. And Zacchaeus, he responds with that same joy. Verse 8, he goes on, he says, Look, Lord, here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor. And if I've cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. Folks, this is how the gospel works. We're going to talk about this more next week. And every week we're going to talk about how the gospel works. But, but I guess what I'm saying is this is the, the, the gospel begins with this message of joy. The message of the cross is a message that begins with the declaration, it is finished. The debt has been paid. We are no longer separated from God, but now we are welcomed in his presence and delighted in. And so here's what the, how that works. You know, Jesus, he shows up in our lives. And he comes in, he show, walks down the street, and we, we see him in all his goodness and his holiness and his beauty and his perfection. And when we see him, we realize that, at least on some level, we're kind of all Zacchaeus. Left to our own devices, we're all these selfish people 
trying to build up our power and our influence, trying to control the world around us. When we see Jesus clearly, we realize that, that it's our nature to live our lives as rebels, kicking and, and screaming and fighting against our loving creator, or just flat out ignoring him, denying him, acting like there's no authority in the world any higher than us. That's the way we live until God shows up. Until he brings us to that moment where we have to come to the end of ourselves. Until he does that thing that opens our eyes and makes us realize how much is still missing in our lives. How empty we really are. Until he lets us see the independence and the ugliness of our own hearts. And the glory is, when God shows us that... He also shows us the cross. He shows us Jesus, the Son of God, who didn't just come walking down the street looking for us, but he actually came down from heaven in hot pursuit of your soul. And Jesus, of course, was not like Zacchaeus. He defrauded no one. He lived perfectly. He lived selflessly. He gave everything he had for everyone else, and yet... He took the punishment of the greatest criminal. He took the penalty that everyone owed. On the cross, he took the payment for every offense. So that, by faith, when you come to him in repentance, when you believe that that work on the cross counted for you and for your forgiveness, when you turn to him, he not only welcomes you, but, but scripture tells us he actually gives you his perfection. He gives you his record. He gives you his righteousness. He gives you all the good things that he's done as if you had done them. And here's what that does. Here's how that impacts your life. Look again at the story. Notice Jesus didn't give Zacchaeus a single command. He didn't say, okay, now Zacchaeus, give back what you owe. Make things right. Get things straightened out. Zacchaeus just did that. He did it naturally. He responded out of the overflow of his heart. He was joyfully transformed when he experienced the Messiah's love for him. The gospel is incredibly good news, folks. It's the news that, that God receives us not because who we are, but because of who Christ is. That God accepts us not because of what we have done, but because of what Christ has done. Our righteousness before God is not earned, it's received. And I told you, we've got people working on my house right now. This is my first experience with home improvements because... I'm a cheapskate, and I never want to pay for stuff to get done, but we're doing it because we're going to be here for a while, and we need new floors in our house. But I've learned that the way these things work is, at least with our guys, you pay 50% up front. And then when they complete the job, you go back and you pay the rest. Now, the assumption is they will be motivated to complete the work because they want what's owed to them, right? 
And they also know if they don't perform well, if they don't do what they've promised to do, then they won't get their payment. But I want you to hear me say this morning, God doesn't treat us like that. We are not his employees under contract. He doesn't say, I'll get you started on the road to salvation, but you have to perform if you want the reward. No. When he declares, I'm coming to your house today, he never changes his mind. We are forever on the receiving end of that joyful gate. And every good thing that God is going to produce in your life, every good work that he does in you, that is just the result of that glorious truth burrowing its way deeper into your heart. It's the power of his Holy Spirit making us come alive from the inside out, joyfully transforming us so that we look more and more like Jesus. And that's the only way real transformation can happen. When we're motivated not because of fear, not because of duty, but by a heart that is overflowing with love for our Savior. Jesus, he is the one who empowers joyful transformation in our lives. And here's the third thing. Jesus connects us to his people. Okay, verse 7. Let's go back to that when we skipped over it a second ago. It says, all the people saw this and began to mutter. He's gone to be the guest of a sinner. What a contrast, right? Here on one hand, we've got this amazing work of redemption happening. This joyful interaction, this reception that could not be more positive. And then we have this crowd of people muttering and complaining. Standing in self-righteous pride and judgment. And not just over Zacchaeus. They're also judging Jesus. They're judging the heart of the Savior himself. And it would be surprising, except we've all seen it, haven't we? We've all experienced this. That attitude amongst religious people that says, no, mm -mm, I, don't, I don't like that. that is, that's not the way you should do it. That's not the kind of person that we should associate with. That's, that's not the type of thing that we should do. It's, it's dangerous. We can't just welcome all these kinds of people. It's a slippery slope. What's going to happen next? I know a woman who came to visit a church for the first time in many years. And when she came in, someone told her that her dress was too revealing and that she needed to go home and find something else if she wanted to come in the service. And she told me the story in tears. She said, I thought I looked beautiful that day. And this is why I stopped going to church in the first place. Because this is what Christians are like. But you know, 
That's not what Christians are like. Because that's not what Christ is like. Look at what Jesus says to Zacchaeus. Today, salvation has come to this house. Because this man, too, is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. That declaration is important. Those words are significant. Notice that that he doesn't just say, this man is forgiven. Or, this man belongs to me now. Both of those things were true. But he says, this man is a son of Abraham. Okay, let's think. Do you guys remember where Jesus is? Were you paying attention when we read? Where is Jesus right now? Jericho. He's really close to Jerusalem. He is in a place where he is surrounded by the Jewish people. People who historically are called the sons of Abraham. Because if you know your Bibles, way back in the beginning, in the early chapters of Genesis, God called this guy Abraham. And he says, I'm going to bless you. I'm going to make you into a great nation. I'm going to bless the whole world through you. And all of his natural descendants, they're called the sons of Abraham. Father Abraham, he had many sons, right? Remember that. (laughs) But Jesus, Jesus here in this little statement, he's pointing out that there's a big difference between being a literal descendant of Abraham and being a true member of God's family. He's saying... It's not these muttering people over here. It's not this self-righteous, judgmental crowd, but it's actually this humbled tax collector with the punchable face. (laughs) This guy is the true son of Abraham. He's the one who belongs. He's the member of my family. You cannot miss this part of what Jesus came to do of what Jesus is doing right here. Because his work is a lot deeper. It's a lot wider than we ever could dream. Yeah, he saves us as individuals. He calls us by name. But then he unites us to his people. He connects us to this family that he is creating where we get to go and we get to live out this surprising and joyful and upside-down reality of his kingdom where the first become the last and the last become the first, where there is room for even the most unlikely person to become a cherished son or daughter. And... And I'm almost done here. But, friends, you need to know that this, doing this, this is not just a job for me. When we're talking about the mission of the church, I'm not talking about how we're going to get bigger. I I don't care about how we modernize this old institution. This isn't about best practices for growing an organization. It's about the heart of the Father. It's about bringing glory and honor to Him. It's about showing this town how good the good news really is. And it's about us 
together as a people experiencing this kind of joy in our midst. This kind of power at work amongst us. And look, I know we're not going to be a perfect church. I've been doing this for too long. (laughs) I have seen some of the worst that churches have to offer. I know there's going to be missteps. I know there's going to be misunderstandings. I know there will be failures. There will be sin. There will be conflict sometimes. We won't always see eye to eye. We won't always be perfectly loving. We won't always feel joyful. But I also know that the Holy Spirit, working through the gospel, he can really do something special here. He can do something incredible in this place, something that we couldn't possibly do on our own. The more we see Jesus' face, the more we see him looking at us, looking at you and delighting in you, the more we hear his voice proclaiming over you, salvation has come to your house today. The more we hear him calling us members of his family, We're going to become a place that brings life. We're going to become a place where those who have been wounded by those self-righteous religious people can come here and be healed. Where the lost can be found. And where all of us together will be transformed. My heart, it longs for this so deeply. You know, I I was writing the sermon, I was weeping in my office. (laughs) But the gospel is so good. How could we not do this? You know, this sermon's hard for me because I know I'm limited in how much I communicate. There's a part of this that we just have to do it. We just have to experience it to understand it. But I know the Lord will do it if we seek his face. I had a mentor that that told me that instead of always just sharing doctrines and teaching, that that sometimes it's better just to try to say it like Jesus would say it. And so here's my best attempt at that. The kingdom of God is like a woman who came to church in the wrong clothes. But nobody mentioned it. Instead, they looked her at the eyes They told her how much Jesus loved her. And then they welcomed her, just like Jesus had welcomed them. And then they hung out with her during the week, and they got to know her. And she started to realize that they really were different. And one day, she started to believe herself. And they all spent eternity together in the joyful presence of their Savior. Let's pray. Lord, you have called us to join in your mission. You have called us to make room for everyone to come to you, to experience that joyful, life-transforming connection to you and to your people. And Lord, I know that some of us here, we need you right now. We need you to save us at this very moment. Some of us here today, we feel far from you. And we're in need of your face. 
to shine on us in a fresh way. God, I pray for those folks in this room that they would hear you call them by name. That they would see you and realize they are not too far. And I pray for this congregation as we talk about this mission, as we talk about these values, as we talk about these things that could be so wooden and dry. Lord, make these dry bones live. Bring this church to life. Bring us to life, Lord. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.